ahead and be seated. And Todd, thank you for uh, putting my Bible back up. For those of you who had your eyes open during prayer, I know nobody does that. Uh, and heard the noise, I just dumped my Bible and my notes and everything when I put it on the stand. But that happens from time to time. I want you to take your sermon notes that are going to look something like this. We handed you a stack of way too much stuff. Forgive me. We, we try to not give you a catalog of stuff when you walk in. But I want you to take your sermon notes, and I need you to write two words on the top of your sermon notes. Um, and these two words are going to be very much like... How many of you remember when uh, when maybe you were in elementary school or... Hopefully you didn't do this in middle school, um, and if you did it in high school, I'm, I'm embarrassed for you. Uh, but how many of you remember in elementary school ever passing a note to anyone that said, hey, will you uh, go, go with me or go out with me or be my boyfriend or be my girlfriend? Uh, if so, circle yes or no. Or ever had a note passed like that to you? Or am I the only one who hopeless, ho- hopelessly was trying to get the girl who sat next to me in class to, uh, to be my girlfriend every year? Will, will you be my whatever, circle yes or no? I need you today to write two words at the top of your sermon notes, and I need you to cross out one. And I need you to circle one, because I want you to know exactly what we're doing here. And our ushers are going down the aisle. In just a minute, we're going to open up our Bible. We're going to read God's Word. If you did not bring a Bible today, if you don't have a Bible, if you need one, just wave at our ushers. They'll give you one. We've been, as a church, uh, able to give away nearly 250 Bibles in the last six months. uh, And we'd be glad to give you one. If you just forgot it, you can use it and give it back. If you don't have one, keep it. This is yours forever. Put your name in it. Bring it back next week. But we'd love for you to have a copy of God's words in your hand uh, as we're studying. But I need you to write two words down. The first word is the word action. I need you to write the word action somewhere uh, on, your, uh, on your sermon notes that we gave you. I need you to write the word action. And, and after you write the word action, I want you to cross it out. Like not so much you can't see it, but just put an X through it or a line through it. Uh, or like, you know, like a circle with a line through it. Uh, This series, we're in the midst of a a series that we started last week that will wrap up on Easter called Living Scent. And this series, by and large, is not to produce action in your life. I'm not trying to get you to go invite everyone you know to come to church. I'm not trying at this point in your life to get you to go tell everyone you know about Jesus. This series is not about going to do anything at this point in time, because if that's what it was about Most of us would fail. We hear, we listen, we take in. A lot of times we agree and then we don't go and do anything. But this this series is not meant to grow our church. This is not a, hey, let's get everyone excited to bring a friend to Easter series. This series is not about action. This series is about, write this word down, awareness. This series is not about action. This series is about awareness. I am trying to help you understand and to be aware of your calling as a Christian And how you are supposed to exist in the world with an awareness of those around you spiritually. An awareness of two things. And you can write down these two words too. An awareness of the responsibility you have as a Christian to live your faith out loud. And not just the responsibility that you have, but the ability that you have. Because you're a Christian and God's Holy Spirit lives in you. This series is all about getting your mind to think about Christianity, not as just coming to church, but Christianity being who I am and allowing everyone through your life to know that. This is not about bringing people to church or leading all your friends to have faith in Jesus, although that would be awesome if we could do those things. Those things aren't bad things. It's just not the goal of this series. The goal of this series is to change your mindset 
So you think for the rest of your life, I'm a Christian, that means something, it should impact my life. I have a responsibility for everyone in my world to know who Jesus is to me, and I have the ability to make that happen. That's what this series is all about. Last week we gave the mission statement of our church. I want to give it to you again so that you can know it. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to memorize it. But if you come to our church frequently, you should know why we're here. Our church exists to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians that make a difference in the world. And last week we began to just understand that a little better. But today I want to focus on two words of that mission statement, if it's still up behind me. We exist to see people who are far from God, not anywhere near a relationship with God. Maybe because they've run from the church, maybe they've run from God, maybe they just have no concept or clue of religion or Jesus or anything. We want to get people who are just kind of living in the world without God, and we want to bring them into a relationship with God so that their life can be changed and they can make a difference in the world. But the key question is, what is the world? Where is the world? So I want you to jot those two words down on your sermon notes too. The world. Where is the world? You say, so our goal is to, like, is our goal as a church, is it to impact Africa? Well, it is, but that's probably not your world. Well, is our goal as a church to impact India? It is, but that's probably not your world. As a matter of fact, we have the word international in the title of our church, Journey Church International, because we believe God has called us to be a church that makes a difference all over the world. But that's not why our mission statement has the word, the word world in it. Say, where is the world? I want to try to show you your world today so that you can understand how as a Christian to live sent in your world. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. It's the first book in the New Testament for those of you who are just brand, brand new to church. There'll be a table of contents in the front of your Bible. And we're going to read some of the last words that Jesus ever gave to his disciples. Uh, These two verses are what we call the Great Commission. This was the great assignment that Jesus gave to his followers, his disciples, uh, right before he left planet Earth and went to heaven where he lives now, where the Bible says he'll come again from to receive us so that we can go and be there with him. And in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, we see Jesus tell us where our world is. As a church, we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We want you to make a difference in the world. In order for that to happen, you have to understand what your world is. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read two verses. I'm going to read in the New International Version. Then I'm going to give you a little definition. Then we're going to read it in the Message, which is a different version of Scripture, probably the most contemporary translation to help you really understand what Jesus was saying. Matthew chapter 28, we start in verse 19. Therefore, Jesus said, matter of fact, let's start in verse 16. We'll back up a little bit. Verse 16, it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. If you have your Bible open and a pen, I want you to circle that word go. If you just have your sermon notes, you can write that word go down. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm going to be with you always to the very end of the age. Now that word go is a very interesting word, especially in our English language, because we see go as an action word and we see it as a direction word, go someplace. So when we read this, we say, well, where where are we supposed to go? Jesus said, therefore, go. Where am I supposed to go? 
that word in, in the original language that Jesus spoke it in. Jesus didn't speak English. I didn't know if, if you knew that. We think the whole world does. He didn't. Uh, this was actually written in Greek, although Jesus probably spoke it in, in Aramaic. Um, the word go is not the word go in our vernacular. The, the phrase actually was this, as you are going. Jesus said, listen, as you leave here and you go live your life, I need you to make disciples. See, that takes the where out of it, and it puts the what into it. He didn't say go where. He said as you are going. Listen, as you live your life, as you get up and go to work, as you uh, go to the gym and you're on the treadmill by the person that you always run next to on the treadmill, as you go to your kid's soccer practice and talk to the same mom and dad every week at your kid's soccer practice, as you go to the dentist, as you go to the doctor, uh, as you go hang out in the neighborhood, as you live your life, as you go to your favorite restaurant, as you're living life, make sure and help people understand who Jesus is. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 in the message version says this, just a different spin on the same text that helps us understand it a little better. Jesus said, God authorized and commanded me to commission you to go out and train. What are the next three words there that should be on the screen behind me? Say them out loud. One more time. Go train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, the Christian life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and instruct them in the practice of all that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. You see, Jesus' great assignment for Christians was not to go for all of us all over the world. His assignment was, as you live your life, make sure people know who I am. It's the assignment of living sent. Some of you are never going to go anywhere for Jesus outside of your normal scope of life. But in that normal scope of life, you're going to go everywhere and you're going to interact with hundreds of neighbors and co-workers and teachers and uh, eventually in-laws and outlaws and neighbors and just everyone you meet. Jesus said, listen, my assignment for you as a Christian is just, hey, everyone you meet now for the rest of your life, have an impact on them spiritually. Live sent. You see, I grew up in a church that, that trained me to think wrongly about evangelism and 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 it was this way evangelism is basically where you go tell people about jesus and the churches that i grew up in taught me that that living sin telling people about jesus was a ministry that the church did but not something that every christian was supposed to do every day and i grew up in churches where where people probably went out on tuesday night was kind of the night to go out on visitation if you had a first time guest to the church on tuesday night you go knock on the door and you go tell them about jesus and you try to nail them down that night right then and there on whether they were a christian and you try to get them to become a christian and you leave their house and you had probably never met them before you went in you may never even speak to them after you go out and there are people in the world who have made hundreds of visits like that to people they've never met to go tell them about jesus in a 30 minute setting but they never walked across the street to tell their neighbor who they've known for a decade that they're a Christian. You know, Danielle and I, my my son is playing in a baseball tournament this weekend out in Oak Grove. And if any of you have driven out I-70 towards Oak Grove, that's kind of a lot of the evangelism thought of the church that I grew up in. There's a big billboard that says, where are you going? Have any of you seen this billboard on, on I-70 drive? Where are you going? I thought that, and, and I didn't read the whole sign. I said, where are you going? And I thought, Oak Grove. And then and it actually had two answers for me. Where are you going? 
heaven or hell. And I thought, you know, that's I'm not against that. That's a good thought provoking question. I hope everyone who sees it really begins to think about where they are spiritually, thinks about the relationship with God. But here's what I wondered as I'm preaching through this series, as I saw that billboard yesterday. I wonder if the people who paid to put that billboard up have ever told their co-workers and their neighbors and their kid's baseball coach and their kid's teacher that they're a Christian. They have a passion to reach everyone who drives on I-70, but they're not living sent in their everyday life. Everyone you meet, just let them know you're a Christian. You see, the church has to has to change the way we think about what we would call this this turn or burn evangelism. You say, what's turn or burn evangelism? It's what I call a one shot chance. Do you want to become a Christian today? If not, you're going to go to hell. Um, And that's not really the way, you know, although evangelism is a gift of the church and certainly there should be periods where people are called to Christ and made aware of eternal ramifications. What Jesus said our commission was is, listen, just simply as you live life, just every day. In every way, with every person you meet, just make sure they know who I am. Live in such a way that I am very attractive to them so that they can become followers of me too. That's what Jesus' plan was. So last week we, we kind of asked the question, um, do you live sent? We asked three questions specifically. We said, what is the scope of your life? If you could boil down to 20 people you see every week, in the same place, same time, same manner? What is the scope of your life that you exist in? And then we ask this question, do all of those people know you're a Christian? Pretty simple thought. Not have you witnessed to them, not do you carry your Bible, not have you told them about Jesus, just do they know you're a Christian? Have they looked at your life and realized that you're a Christian? And then we ask this third question, do you any day of your life ever get up and even think about the people who exist in your world spiritually and wonder how you can impact them? Man, and last Sunday night, Danielle and I took this question to our small groups. By the way, if you're not in a small group at our church, our next series of small groups begins after Easter uh, in June. The only way you're ever going to get to really know and make friends in this church is going to a small group. I love my small group that meets on Sunday night, meets in my neighborhood about 10 houses down. And we asked these questions last night. What's the scope of your life? Does everyone know you're a Christian? Do you ever even think about people spiritually? And do you know what the, the vast majority of the people in our group answered? We had a bunch. Our small group is a big group. We had like 30 there Sunday night. Um, most of the people said, and, and we said we're not going to judge anyone. It's not right or wrong. But the vast majority of the people in my life probably don't know that I'm a Christian. Um, and I don't really even think about that or consider it. I just haven't thought much about it. Jesus wants you to think much about it. He wants you to think about the people that you run with in your daily life. And he wants you, as you live your life, to impact them uh, for him. That's why I want to talk to you today about what I call living scent within community. Living scent within community. I'm going to talk to you about people that you already know, people that you already interact with. Most of you already know who the first person you will see when you get to work is tomorrow, and you'll probably give them the same greeting you give them every Monday morning. Some of you are going to sit in the same meetings tomorrow. You sit in every Monday morning of the year, and you're going to have the same meeting on Tuesday that you have every Tuesday of the year, and you're going to interact with someone the same way you interact with them every week of your life. And it's, begin to th- it's time to begin thinking of all those opportunities as opportunities to allow people to understand who Jesus is so they can become a follower of his as well. That's what this series is about. So I want to talk to you about living within community, and I want to give you three tips. 
And these are three tips right from the Bible. These are three tips that some people with the radical gift of evangelism would beat, beat me over the head with because they say, no, we need to be more confrontational. And for some, maybe. But I want to show you the way that Jesus did it in times of living within community in his ministry. And I want to show you how you can begin to have an impact for Jesus in the world. Tip number one, the first thing that every Christian needs to understand is that the first, your first spiritual assignment through your life is to invite people to come and see who Jesus is. Your first spiritual assignment is not come to church. Your first spiritual assignment is not to ask someone, do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? Your first spiritual assignment is for them to know you're a Christian and for them to just watch your life. Come and see. You know, Danielle and I had a, had a, a pretty cool opportunity. We went to a, a, a church planning conference in California held at Saddleback Church. And they had a meeting for pastors under the age of 35, kind of a Q&A in a smaller room with Pastor Rick Warren, who, who is one of the most well-known pastors in the world today. He, he gave the opening prayer at both President Bush's last inauguration, President Obama's inauguration. I mean, he moves in big circles, and he's not been pinned as a kind of a religious fanatic political figure. He, I mean, he's been on the cover of Time magazine. He's extremely influential. He's built a great church. And we had the opportunity to interact and ask him questions. And my question to him, as a church planner, he had planted a church. I said, Pastor Rick, what's the first thing? If you had to do church planning all over again, what's the number one thing you would do in your first year? And this is the answer he gave me. He said, just invite people to come and see. That's all you can do. The most important thing you can do in the first year of a new church is just to invite people to come and just come and see who you are. They don't have to make a decision, but you just, you just want them to be aware that you're there. And he gave us this text. He said, this is how Jesus did it with his disciples. He just invited them to come and see. In John chapter 1, um, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there just a few chapters over to the right. Verses 35 through 46. And I'll be honest, I never really knew this until Pastor Rick gave me this text um, several months ago. That the calling of Jesus' first disciples, you know, we always thought it was come follow me. Come follow me to death. It wasn't come follow me. Just come and see. Come and see what I'm doing. John chapter 1, we start in verse 35, we read through verse 46. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. Jesus had just been baptized the day before, by the way. When John saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher. He said, where are you staying? He said, come, and you'll see. Just come and see. Continuing in verse 39. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. First thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is Christ. And they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means rock, or translated in the Greek, Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one who Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets have also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, Nathanael asked, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth? And Philip said, Come and see. Just come check it out. If Jesus would have told these young disciples, who most of them were teenagers, the very first day, Rabbi, what are you doing? He said, that's a great question. In three years, I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be beaten. And then if you follow me, they're probably going to catch you and kill you too. Are you in? What do you think they'd have said? 
you know what, we're going to go fishing. He didn't lower the boom in one turn or burn moment. He just said, come check it out. Come watch my life. You know what, this first day we don't read about anything important that happened. We don't know what was taught. We don't know what was said. It doesn't appear that there was a miracle performed. What happened? They just hung out with Jesus. They saw who he was, and they were attracted to the life that they were living. You know, it's, it's uh, really interesting. Danielle and I actually moved to Lee Summit in December of 2010. December 1st, 2010, we moved to Lee Summit. But we didn't start our church till September 18th. And in that time period, it was very difficult when we met new people because, I, you know, you, you don't want to. Your first opportunity, someone says, hey, what would you move here for? You don't want to say, I'm starting a church. You know, for, for somebody who's never met you, that's like saying I'm starting a cult. I mean, you know, that, that is weird, you know. Who moved someplace to start a church? So I told Danielle, when people ask you what we're doing, don't tell them we're starting a church because there's nothing to see yet. And I told her, listen, you have to lie. The only way we're going to impact these people spiritually is if we lie. For some reason, that sounded good back then. Uh, you know, it didn't make sense. But the thought was this. There's nothing to see yet. You know, we, we're, we're going to start a church. Well, what, when? Well, like in a year. Well, why are you doing that? What's it going to look like? I said, tell, so with all the people I coached with, with our neighbors, with our friends that we met, we just we tried to wait people out so that once we started our church and they said, hey, what are you doing? We say, we have a church. Well, what's it about? Come and see. You see, there was nothing to invite people to watch but our life. Because, you know, my, my life verse, one of my life verses is Matthew 5, 16. Uh, that I love where Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. It's the thought that people should see what a Christian looks like and they ought to, they ought to when they watch your life, think, okay, that's what someone who lives for God looks like. We didn't have enough come and see credibility in our life to tell people we're planting a church. Now, some of you are, are the exact opposite. Your Christian life isn't come and see. Your Christian life is there's nothing to see here. You ever had those moments in life? Where something happens and you're trying to peek and someone will say, there's nothing to see here. You know, my, my son who likes to be the funny man in life and make everyone laugh and just be crazy. On Thursday night we had baseball pictures um, and it was raining and we caught just like a 30 minute break in the clouds while we were having, while we were having baseball pictures. And we took our pictures and then Christian had to, we had to take his baseball pants off and give them to another one of the moms on our team so she could take him to a seamstress because they were too long and have him hemmed in at the bottom. And in the process of doing this, he put on his shorts, and I'm talking to one of the other coaches, and I hear all the moms start laughing. And if you knew my son, this doesn't surprise you. But I hear the moms start laughing, and they say, Who's that little boy peeing? And my back is to him, and I just thought, Lord, I know that's my son. And I turned around, and there's Christian, like 10 feet away from a 20-foot tree, trying to pee over it, you know, it, so that everyone will see him and laugh. And it's like, oh, son. Well, one of the moms thought it was so funny, she took her phone and she started recording it. And Christian found out, and I told Christian, she's going to put that on YouTube. Man, the whole world now is going to see you peeing on that tree. And he said, Dad, I didn't, you know, I, 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 it, that wasn't meant for everyone to see. And I said, well, why'd you do it? Well, I wanted some people to see it and think it was funny. Some people live your spiritual life this way. There's nothing to see here. If you're looking for Jesus, don't look at me because I, I don't have anything to show you. Jesus, the first step of our spiritual, um, the first step of our spiritual impact on anyone is just to come and see impact. Just watch my life. Watch me for a year, and hopefully you'll learn what a Christian looks like. I won't be perfect, 
But I'm, hopefully, if you watch me for a year, you'll see what a Christian looks like. A lot can be learned and understood from seeing. You know, the values of our church, hopefully the values of our church, you understand. Even if you've not heard them, you understand by just seeing them. You know, one of the values of our church is simplicity. We believe that people in the world today are extremely busy. And we believe we need a very simple schedule and a simple process for people to connect to our church. And if you've been around it very long, you know, you probably see our church doesn't have tons of things going on that you have to be really busy with. We value simplicity. We don't say it all the time, but you probably see that. We value spiritual growth. And we don't always say we value spiritual growth, but we're constantly talking to you about how to grow spiritually. Hopefully you see that. We value radical appreciation. If you're one of our leaders who serves, hopefully you saw that last year at Christmas. We had the most blowout Christmas party that we've ever had that I can imagine uh, for our leaders. And we catered in some of the nicest food in town to just radically appreciate our leader. And on, on May 6th, we have rented out Paradise Park completely for our church. And everyone who volunteers in any capacity and their kids were having our spring volunteer carnival to appreciate people who shake hands and take the offering and watch the baby and watch the kids and set up and tear down. We, we can't appreciate our volunteers enough because we can't do church without them. So we try to model radical appreciation. We, we try to be generous. We value giving money away, and we talk about that all the time. So hopefully without us talking about these values, hopefully as you see this list, you're saying, yeah, I've seen that, I've seen that, I've seen that. We value divine revelation. You say, what does that mean? We believe that God still speaks to human beings, and you'll hear me say, I, I felt like I was supposed to give this sermon. Man, I felt like God wanted me to go this direction. We still stop and do what we think God wants us to do. We're not following some handbook where we don't need God. We're trying to do what he wants us to do. We value friendliness. Man, hopefully you see that. Some of you are annoyed by that value because like, you're like a, like a super germ phobe, and like you see our line of 45 greeters on the way in as you're coming, and you're like, oh, now i got to shake hands again. And you walk in with your hands in your pocket, or you just fist bump because you're like Howie Mandel, and you don't want to shake hands and get your hands all dirty. But we value friendliness. We should hopefully just bless you with friendliness anytime you're in our church. We value global impact at our church. We always tell you every week when you give money at our church, when you serve at our church, you're making an impact in Africa, you're making an impact in India, you're making an impact in Romania. We're praying about starting a church in Israel. We value global impact and we value authenticity. We are who we are. We're not trying to pretend to be super spiritual. We're not trying to pretend to not have any flaws. We are who we are. You are who you are. And guess what? We're probably a lot alike. See, these are the things we value as a church. And a lot of you have never heard these, but as you hear these, hopefully you're thinking, yeah, I've seen that. Because a lot of times you see things before you hear anything about them. Look what Jesus said to John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist wondered if Jesus really was the Messiah. Why? Because he was in prison. His life wasn't going well. He thought he was going to be killed. So he grabbed some of his disciples and said, Hey, go ask Jesus if he really is who he says he is. And look what Jesus says. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you really the one who's to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John the Baptist said, are you really the Messiah? And Jesus said, just go tell him what you've seen. Just go tell him what you've seen. And he can judge for himself. Man, I want to be a church that's seen a lot more then we're heard. And a lot of churches are really noisy, and they're heard a lot. I want to be a church that's seen 
more than it's heard in our community. Man, last week or a few weeks ago in our small group, and again, I, I can't stress enough small groups, but this isn't, message isn't about small groups. Um, but last week in one of our small groups, one of, one of the questions was, or a few weeks ago, um, what has made Christianity attractive to you? It's a question we ask all of our people to answer. What has made Christianity attractive to you? And one of the men who was at my table said one of the things that really made Christianity attractive to him, and I may get the event wrong, but he said he had a coworker at work who I think when Katrina happened took a week off of work to go serve with his church to help people who had been devastated by Katrina. And he said, I watched him do that, and I thought, that's pretty cool. I'd like to be a part of something like that that helps people. See, he just saw it. I don't know that that coworker ever invited him to church, ever told him to turn or burn, ever said, you need Jesus. But he lived the real Christian life, and someone saw it and thought, that's cool. I would like to one day be involved in something like that. How many people see your faith and think to themselves when they go home after work, man, someday I'd like to be like them spiritually? Or do you live a life that says there's nothing to see? You see, your friends are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. And I don't want you to feel spooky that everyone's always, you know, looking at what you're doing. But what I'm saying is you can have tremendous spiritual impact by just living your life for Jesus on purpose and understanding, being aware that the first step of spiritual impact is, is come and see. Come and see. Tip number two. This is really interesting when you see Jesus do this because a lot of times we don't do this. But your first verbal impact, so your first spiritual impact is come and see. Your first verbal impact spiritually is usually found in conversation, not conversion. See, a lot of people think, well, if I can't lead someone to Jesus, if I can't make someone become a Christian, you know, if I, if I can't help bring people to faith in Christ. Listen, Jesus began with conversation, not conversion. How do I begin to talk to someone about who Jesus is in my life without having to force down their throat who Jesus can be in their life? Go to John chapter 4. And by the way, I want you to know here, you know, for, for those of you who might be tuning me out, I, I'm talking about the strategy of the Great Commission. I know that someone has to become a Christian to become what Jesus wants them to become. I know that our role is to make disciples, not just make friends with people who roughly understand about Jesus. But I'm talking about the strategy, the beginning impact. We begin a conversation so that maybe someone can understand who Jesus is. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus do this. Starts a random conversation with a random person and ends up being able to have a spiritual impact on them. We'll start in, uh, start in verse 1. Uh, we'll read through verse 6, and then we'll break for just a second. John chapter 4. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So when Jesus learned about this, he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, because he was tired from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, I want to stop right there, and I I want you to notice, this is not an exciting day in the life of Jesus. Jesus did not go to this well specifically, and I've heard messages preached on this. Well, Jesus, you know, he specifically went to that well because he knew that woman was going to be there. Look, the Bible says he had to go from one place to another, and on the way there, he came to a rest stop, and he was tired at the rest stop. So he went to the vending machine to get a bottle of Diet Coke because that's what I would do if I was at a rest stop. And as he was putting his money in, somebody came. I mean, that, this is the story. He's going from point A to point B. 
He stops halfway there. He goes to the well. He's tired. He wants a drink. This is everyday life creating an opportunity for someone to understand who Jesus is. Listen, your life is going to have this opportunity this week. You're going to sit down at lunch and somebody's going to sit down beside you who you can begin to have a conversation with. You're going to walk outside your house this week and someone's going to walk outside your house that you can begin to have a conversation with this week. You're going to go, if you're like Danielle and I, you're going to go to a baseball game this afternoon and you're going to sit by somebody at a baseball game you can have a conversation with. And you need to be thinking if you are living since somewhere in this conversation, perhaps I'll be able to help this person understand that I'm a Christian and maybe, just maybe, I'll have an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Maybe not, but it could be as simple as this. When I sit down today, anywhere I go, hey, how you doing? Good. Just came from church. That could be it spiritually that you need to say. And that could lead into conversation. But you know what a lot of Christians will do? They'll never mention they were at church. They won't mention they're a Christian. They won't mention they'll love Jesus. They'll never in the course of conversation consider how they can bring up something spiritual that might lead to spiritual impact. This wasn't a visitation night. This was Jesus living his life, going from point A to point B. He ran into somebody on the way, and he begins to have this conversation. Look at verse 7. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Are you going to heaven or hell? Is that what he said? Is that what he said? It's not what he said, is it? Jesus said to her, What church do you go to? Is that what he said to her? Is that not what he said? Jesus said to her, Are you a Baptist or a Nazarene? Is that what Jesus said to her? Jesus said, can I have a drink? So wait a minute, the son of God didn't confront her about her spiritual issues. Not at first. Hey, can I have a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, hang on, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, here he is. He starts with water, but he begins to get deeper. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you don't have anything to draw water with. The well's deep. Where are you going to get this living water? You greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well to, and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock did as well. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them is never going to thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See what Jesus did? He started a simple conversation. Simple conversation. And, and then he found a need. What was the need? The need for her was water. She came in the middle of the day. Now listen, this, was, this did not happen often. Women, first and foremost, all came to the well together early in the morning and late in the afternoon. Why? Because it's hot in the Middle East. She was coming in the middle of the day. She was coming all by herself. Why? Because he was an outcast. So Jesus saw that she had a need in her life. And as he began to talk with her just about normal things, he saw this need and he began to talk about how, you know, hey, maybe I had that need in my life. Hey, maybe I saw someone who had that need in my life. I ran into somebody this week that asked me about what I was doing and about our church. And I said, man, you need to come check out our church sometime. And they said, I'm divorced. I said, so are half of the people in our church. As a matter of fact, so are half of the people in the world. You're welcome at our church. You see, we need to, people are staying away from God because of their fears. But the, the thing that God can do for them is he can, meet, he can meet every need that they have. And if we can find out needs in a person's life, and we can begin to talk about those, we can begin to have spiritual impact. Look at verse 16. Now, Jesus, because he was Jesus, 
he really drew her out into conversation. And I did skip ahead a little bit. But in verse 16, he said, go and call your husband and come back here to the well. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is you've had five, and the man you uh, have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now, he didn't condemn her for that. He didn't call her any names. Knowing Jesus, he didn't look at her with a weird look. He just stated a fact. Yeah, your life right now probably not going the way you want it to. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is, is, uh, is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time's coming when you're going to worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do for salvation comes from the Jews, yet a time is going to come. And it's now here when true worshipers are going to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus said, I, the one speaking to you, I'm, I'm him. See, what Jesus did is Jesus narrowed this conversation to the fact that, hey, life is hard. I get it. Your life might be messed up. I get it. Jesus can do something about that. You see, our, jo- our, our job is, is not to condemn. Our job is not to convert. Our job is to converse with people. They say, yeah, you've had a hard life. Cool. All of us have. Jesus can help you. Jesus can help you. So tip number one, come and see. Tip number two, your spiritual impact begins with conversations you have with people, not the fact that you need to go convert somebody spiritually. And then tip number three, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. Jesus said we need to compel people spiritually, not condemn them. As a matter of fact, the book of James says there's only one judge, and it's not anyone in this room. We need to compel people spiritually, not condemn them. We want people to be attracted to who Jesus is, not repelled from Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15, there's a really interesting verse that I want to read to you. I love this verse. The Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, Thanks be to God who leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Say, what does this verse really mean? It means this, that our lives in the world should be attractive. Have you ever, right as spring is starting to come into the year, walk by some flowers and just had the aroma hitching? It's like, you know, it's just refreshing to you. Or, or maybe it's not because you have allergies and, it, you know, the, the smell of flowers, maybe, you know, maybe fresh baked bread, you know, so, something that smells good to you. Have you ever, you know, just had aroma and it's just pleasing to you? Have you ever had the opposite happen? You had an aroma hit you that's just putrid? You know, I think there are a lot of Christians right now that stink spiritually. And people get around them and it's like, ah, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be that. Paul said your life should be so that when people get around you, man, it's, it, they just feel refreshed spiritually. Why? Because these are the type of Christians that compel people rather than condemn them. Let me give you some verses that prove this point. In Luke 14, verses 16 through 23, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing to have a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, because everything's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. I've got to go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought some oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Excuse me. Still another said, I got married, so I can't come. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. 
Then the owner of the house became angry and he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done. There's still room. And the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. She said, man, invite everyone you know to be a part of what I'm doing. Compel them, beg them to come and be a part of what, what, what I'm doing so that my house may be full. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 and verses 13 through 15, the Apostle Paul talks about this ministry of compelling people spiritually. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We, we try to persuade others. For out of our mind, if we're crazy to think like this spiritually, as some say, it's for God. For in our right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels us. And it, it makes us want you to know who Jesus is because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live in him should no longer live for themselves but for God who died for them and was raised again. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 12. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. Listen, we live in a Christian world today that wants to separate the sick from the healthy, and we want to be with the healthy. Any of you have kids? Any of you have kids that go to the doctor? Any of you have a doctor's office like mine that you go to the doctor and they have a sick room and a well room? And like when you're just going to get the physical and you look at all the sick kids, you think, thank God my kid does not have to go in there. You get kids with just like snot hanging out and like goop from their eyes. And, you know, they, they just, uh, you know, I mean, there's just germs hanging in the air and they're playing with toys and putting them in their mouth. And they hand them to another kid, puts it in his mouth. And you're like, oh, that room is disgusting. That's how the church, unfortunately, has come to look at the world. Oh, the church is healthy. We want to be with healthy people. We don't want to be in the sick room. Why? Because the sick room, we, in, in germ term, germ term, that rhymes. I didn't even have that written down. Just made that up. Um, in, in, uh, you know, in, in being ill terminology, um, we don't want to be around sick people because we don't want to get sick. And their germs are contagious. But see, the Bible says spiritually the exact opposite is true. The people who are well spiritually are contagious And if we get around people who are sick spiritually and they begin to get some of our spiritual germs, they're going to get healthy. You see, the the person, the Christian who lives sent, looks at the sick room and the well room and they say, I want to go in the sick room and just hang out and talk to people and let them know that I care about them. Because if they get around me long enough, they're going to experience who Jesus is. That's how the healthy Christian thinks. If someone who's far from God gets around me long enough... They're going to know who Jesus is. Now, the decision about Jesus that they make is up to them. But if they hang around me long enough, I promise you they'll know who Jesus is. We're reverse contagious. We have the opportunity to make spiritually sick people healthy. How? Just by living life. Just by living life. I want to show you a video that illustrates this just a little bit before we close this morning. But I want to say this is how just living life can impact people in the world that you live in. Go ahead and play the video, guys. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. Now he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. 
Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13 and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. that is how Christianity is supposed to work. One at a time, live your life. Now, can, can I tell you how strange the true message of that video is? I had seen that message I'd been planning on, uh, that video, been planning on using it for a while. And I got an email from one of the dads whose students used to be in my youth ministry. And for some of you who used to be in the rock with me a long time ago, maybe you saw Corey up there. But he sent me a link and he said, hey, Christian, you have to check out this video that Corey made. The kid who made that video is a kid who used to be in our youth ministry, who became a Christian right as he started coming to our youth ministry, who learned to do sound and video, sitting in the back of our youth ministry and now works in a full-time ministry making stuff like that. He just glimpsed in that video. I thought, that's unbelievable that a kid that we just randomly touched would make a video that 10 years later our church would use to try to touch you, to touch the world. See, that's how it happens one at a time. 
Here's how we're going to close today. And it's a little different than we've closed before. And ushers, I'm going to ask you to come forward now with the little slips of paper that, that I've handed you. Don't pass them out yet, but just bring them down the aisles. In Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah that the world is going to end by flood. And, uh, you know, if you read it closely, you think, man, how could God judge? The, how could God kill the whole world with a flood? Well, he gave them more than 100 years to come into the ark. He had Noah build an ark. And he said, hey, you can bring anyone into the ark you want. And only seven people ended up coming. His three sons, their three wives, and his wife. He saved seven people. And after the flood was over, he promised Noah, hey, I'm never going to destroy the earth with a flood again. But the Bible says that one day the world is going to end. This life as we now know it will end. And I had this thought as I, as, as I was putting together this message and I've been praying over this series and I've just been thinking about you and your spiritual impact. And you just being aware of, of how you're supposed to impact and who you can impact. I had this thought. If you had a boat in your backyard and a week from today the world was going to be destroyed by a flood and you could only bring in seven, who are the seven most important people in your life? And are they all safe spiritually? Do they know Jesus? If next week would be their last week on planet Earth, do you know for sure they'd be in eternity? And this got me thinking that not only do we need to be aware of our coworkers and our neighbors and our school teachers and our coaches and our friends, but I thought, you know, every Christian should be aware of a specific group of people that they pray for, that, that they know, believe it's my job to protect these people spiritually and have an impact on them. So I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and pass out. It's just a little slip of paper. It's for you, not me. You're never, you're never going to give this to me. And on the top, it just says safe seven. And it's got seven blank lines. And you don't have to do this right now, but I'm going to ask you this week sometime to keep this near your Bible, to keep it near your nightstand, to hang it up in your bathroom, to put it in your car. I'm going to ask you to be highly aware of seven people in your life that if you knew the world were going to end and you had a boat that could save seven, you don't want these seven people on it. For some of you, this is a spouse who you don't know if they're safe spiritually. For some of you, it's a mom and dad. For some of you, it's children. For some of you, everyone in your family you think is a Christian. But it might be a neighbor you really like or a coach on your son's sports team or a teacher. I, I don't know who it is. It's going to be different for everyone in here. But I'm going to ask you as a Christian to become aware of living scent, not only to the world, but to a specific group of people in your life. I'm not trying to stir action, although action is good. You could call all these people today if you want. I don't think you'd be doing anything wrong. But have a conversation at first. Don't, don't, uh, don't go straight for conversion. Have a conversation. Compel them. Don't condemn them. But I want you to be aware that, hey, maybe God put me on planet Earth so these seven people wouldn't know who Jesus is. And they can make a decision to follow him if they want to. Now, I want to end this service this way. If you're in here today and you're looking at this list of seven and you're thinking, man, I don't think my name is on there. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't think I follow Jesus. I don't know that if today, you know, if the world were to end today, I don't know if I'm on anybody's boat. And I want to know that, like before I leave this room, that I want to invite you today to become a Christian. So how, how do I do that? You just recognize before the God of the universe, he's God, you're not. You've not been able to meet his perfect standard, but Jesus will forgive you of where you've fallen short. You can have his love and forgiveness in your life and eternal life one day when it's time for that, hopefully long down the road. I can lead you in a prayer to help you do that. If your heart is sensitive to that, you can pray that right now. So let's bow our heads and let's 
pray together as we close today. And Jesus, we come to you right now. And God, I just pray for the men and women in this room that we would live with a spiritual awareness that we are supposed to live sin. Like every day as we live life, we're supposed to let people know who Jesus is just by the way we live. Some of them at a come and see level. Some of them at a conversation level. Some of them at a, uh, at a compel level. Be people at every different level. But God, help our life to be aware that we are your ambassadors. And everywhere we go, we're supposed to let people know who Jesus is. God, I pray for the men and women in this room today who maybe don't have a relationship with you, who don't know if they're Christians, but who desire desperately to be close to you, to be forgiven by you, to have a second chance, to have a new life, to have eternal life. If you're in here today and that's your prayer, you want to know before you leave these doors that you're a Christian, that you're close to God, that God has forgiven you, that you can start over, that one day you're going to go to heaven. Why don't you just pray this prayer where you're sitting? You don't even have to pray it out loud. You can just pray it in your heart. You don't even have to move your lips. God hears the prayer of your soul today. Pray this prayer, dear God. I want to be close to you. I want to be loved by you. I want to be known as yours. So today by faith, I ask that you would forgive my sins. And today by faith, I accept that Jesus was your son who died to forgive my sins and who rose to life so that one day I could raise to life eternally. Today I want to become a Christian. Today I want to follow Jesus. I give myself to you, Lord. Help me to grow in faith, become who you want me to be, and make an impact for you. And with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I want to pray for everyone else in the room today. And here's the question I want to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed. If just off the top of your head you have even one of your safe seven names that you believe you need to be aware of spiritually and maybe have some impact on spiritually, will you just raise your hand because I want to pray. What I'm going to do is I'm, for those of you who raise hands, I'm going to pray specifically for the person your hand represents. Just raise your hand and leave it up for a minute. I'm thinking of one person or maybe seven or maybe more. Just leave it up. God, I pray for those hands raised right now because those represent real people with real names, with real stories, with real hurt. God, with real opportunity. These are people in our life that we want to have an awareness that maybe they're in our life because we're supposed to show them who Jesus is. God, for the names represented and the people and the families represented by these hands raised, help our church community by living sent to show them who Jesus is. And God, may they find him so attractive that they commit to follow him as well. We love you. We see things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together this morning, amen. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want everyone in here right now to grab your connection card.